Presented by T-Mobile, the official wireless partner of Odyssey Sports. With an awesome network and great savings, there's never been a better time to join T-Mobile. Visit your neighborhood store to make the switch today. And we are coming to you live. From the Rocket Mortgage by Quicken Loan Studios, Rocket Mortgage with you every step of the way to provide a seamless mortgage experience. It's the Ken Carmen Show on CBS Sports Radio, 855-212-4227, 855-212-4CBS. Send the tweet, send them out, at Ken Carmen, C-A-R-M-A-N. Coming up in 20 minutes, Sean Pendergast going to join us. DeCablin Asian. Sports Radio 610 in Houston. He's still in New York. He was at the hot dog eating competition, correct, Tom? He's a counter? That is correct. He's an official Nathan's counter. God, that is disgusting. But we will ask him about it coming up at 120 p.m. Eastern at 1020 a.m. Pacific. Boy, it's really hard to get the whole three-hour thing in it. Sean Pentagast joining us in 20 minutes. Folks, I told you four months ago. I'll tell you about that here in a second. I do have to tell you about the trash bees real quick. I, I didn't tell you about the trash piece four months ago, but away we go. Six categories. We will give out the final awards for the first annual trash piece coming up in just about 40 minutes. The sixth category, athletes who need to retire. You got to pick one. Voting is still open. Eli Manning, Tom Brady, Vince Carter, or Chris Paul. Vote at CBS Sports Radio on Twitter. Most annoying athlete. This one, folks, is neck and neck and neck and neck. LeBron James, Kevin Durant, Kyrie Irving, Antonio Brown. Category the fifth, worst pro sports league. The nominees, NFL, Major League Baseball, NBA, NHL. Worst team, the nominees, Orioles, Suns, Knicks, Raiders. Worst owner, nominees, James Dolan, Derek Jeter, Dan Snyder, Jeannie Buss. Worst executive, the nominees, Brody Van Wagenen, Dave Gettleman, Steve Keim, Sam Presti. Boy, two in one city right there. Wow, that's incredible. Please vote at CBS Sports Radio on Twitter. We'll give you the winner when we return at 140. 855-2124-CBS. Told you four months ago now. Now I can get into this. Four months ago, I told you, you killed me for it. You called up, you killed me for it. And I don't mean to do victory laps over it, but guess what? I mean to do victory laps over it. Because I made a comparison and you called me asinine. And maybe I still will be. Maybe at the end of this NBA season, I will really truly be completely asinine in the comparison. But I brought out the numbers. I looked at the numbers. I combed over them with a fine-tooth comb. Over 67,000 this man will end with in passing yards. Over 400 passing touchdowns this man will end with with passing touchdowns. It will put him both in the top seven all time. The yards are fantastic. The touchdowns are fantastic. The playoffs, not there. Russell Westbrook has been to the playoffs in the NBA Finals with Kevin Durant by himself, but has been a basically empty, hollow, meaningless existence since Kevin Durant has been gone. And I made that comparison where triple doubles have now we take him for granted. The way he plays, we criticize. We think he's too much of a ball hog. We think he's too isolationist. He's one-on-one. Now he'll play with James Harden. 
Before this all happened, I made a comparison, and I brought up, again, current yards, current TDs, extrapolating them out over an 18-year career. Say he plays eighteen more, plays eight more seasons or seven more seasons. Take away the top two, add them all up. Over 67,000 passing yards, 401 touchdowns. He is, folks, the Matt Stafford of the NBA. Four months ago, I got ripped. Today, everybody agrees. I don't know if Matt Stafford has that chance to change it. I guess you always have a chance to change the narrative on your career. Matt Ryan had a change of that narrative for his career almost when they were up 28-3 going into the fourth quarter. Or at least in the third quarter they had that chance. Kind of went the other way, and now the Falcons went the other way this last year. Maybe it changes for Matt Ryan again. But Matt Stafford, hey, you do have a chance to change it, but that's basically the narrative of your career. These are Hall of Fame numbers. You're not getting to the Hall of Fame. Russell Westbrook will go to the Hall of Fame. And he'll have Hall of Fame numbers. But in this era of domination, Durant, Kawhi, LeBron, Giannis, James Harden, now you're playing with him, you're back to where people think you should be, which is basically a second fiddle. But you are on an isolationist type of basketball team. And you've been an MVP. But the narrative has changed. Everybody, quote-unquote, wants to run away from you. This is your last chance, Russ. This is your last chance to to beat everybody away, to tell them they're wrong, and to prove they're wrong. I love the way Russell Westbrook plays. I can't fight this narrative anymore. It seems that anybody who is anybody wants to get away from this guy. They either want to get away from Oklahoma City or they want to get away from him. Either way, they want to be away from him. Paul George, bye-bye, forcing his way out. Kevin Durant, we obviously know about that. It, it's just a, and it might be a stereotype, but it is going forward the entire way. You've changed everything we look at when it comes to triple doubles. You've made them commonplace. You've changed the pace. You've changed everything. A couple of years ago, we loved you. We wanted to give you the MVP basically as a consolation prize because we were mad at Kevin Durant. Kevin Durant wins championships, gets a finals MVP, then gets hurt in Golden State. Boy, and you look worse and worse and worse as time goes on. You get dispatched in the postseason earlier than we expected. You get in arguments with the fans. It's an ugly existence, Russell. And I'm a fan. I love the way he's played. I like his tenacity. I like that he gets into it with fans. Not everybody is meant to be a super nice, wonderful guy. Yeah, I know he does charities and he does a lot of things, but when he's at his place of business, he's intense, he'll cuss you out, and I don't care. I like it. There are certain guys who are meant to be nice. Russell Westbrook isn't meant to be one of those guys, and I respect that. But I can't fight that argument any longer. He has a chance to change it. He has a chance to take basketball at an isolationist system with one of the great isolationist players of his generation with him and James Harden and try to change the way we look at things. This is a desperate move by Houston. An embattered, embittered type of fan base that looks at what happened with the Toronto Raptors and say, how the hell did the Raptors win this? That should be our championship. Kawhi Leonard went out there and kicked the ass of the Golden State Warriors without Kevin Durant. They didn't have him against us. We should have won that series, and we didn't do it. How could you do that? They miss him during that series. They miss him during that time, and they just go out there and beat the brakes off everybody. The Splash Brothers are back. The way it was is back, and this is the type of way that Daryl Morey is supposed to conduct the business. And now... 
We're getting away from analytics. We're getting away from ball sharing and, and, and maximizing shots and moving the basketball as much as we can. We go back to isolationist basketball with Russell Westbrook and James Harden. This reeks of desperation. The pressure's on those guys. If they don't perform, someone gets moved, guys get fired. Fans become outraged. Pressure's on them. And for Russell Westbrook, he needs to understand it means more. Because someday he'll be done playing. And he might be the type of guy, and this is all true, he might be the type of guy at the end of all this where he doesn't give a damn what we think. And he is going to continue to not give a damn and all that other stuff. But when his contemporaries go and they compete for championships and win championships and play the basketball in that sense, and he is continuously blamed, and even wrongfully so, blamed for why things went wrong in Oklahoma City with playing with two of those guys. If the day comes he can't change that, I think it's going to really bother him. It's on him now. It's on him and James Harden. I can't say that it's going to 100% not work. I just really don't think it's going to work. Not to where they need it to be because it's win or bust. 855-2124-CBS. Up next, Sean Pendergast, Sports Radio 610. In Houston, he'll join us. We'll talk to him about what's going on with the Rockets. And also, the Texans are going to try to go without a general manager. It's Ken Carmen on CBS Sports Radio. This is the Ken Carmen Show on CBS Sports Radio. 855-2124-CBS. It's CBS Sports Radio's toll-free line. It's brought to you by Geico. Tom scared the hell out of me. Great news. There's a quick way you can save money. You switch to Geico. 15 minutes, you can save 15% or more on car insurance. We go live, not to Houston, but to New York. But he's a man about town in the city of Houston. You can guarantee yourself that even more than Landry Locker down at Sports Radio 610 in Houston. It's Sean Pennegas, Sports Radio 610 in Houston. Joining us on the show right now, follow him on Twitter at Sean Pennegas. Hello, Sean. How are we? I'm doing great. How are you doing, Ken? Oh, I, I, I got to ask you a couple questions before we get going with this. You, yeah, you yeah. have... You have dabbled in competitive eating? One time. Yeah, once. well, one time as a participant and twice as a judge. Yeah, I was what the... What uh, the I hell? The, uh, I, in 2007, I was the... Uh, I finished 10th in the kolache eating contest at Minute Maid Park. It, what, it is by, what is kolache? What is kolache? A kolache is a Houston delicacy, Ken. It's a... Uh, it's like a ball of dough with sausage and cheese jammed inside of it. It's really, really how, good. You how many it. of them? How many of them did you eat? Uh, I ate seven in ten minutes. The winner was one Joseph Chestnut. He he ate fifty six. Oh Lord! He ate, <laughs> wait a minute. You had seven. He had fifty six. Yeah, yeah. He ate fifty six. I was a last second oh participant. Like one of the one of the freaks. One of the freaks couldn't make it, uh, yeah. so they asked me to do it, and I finished tenth out of 10, but I have one point. If you go to eatfeeds.com, I have one point on the competitive eating circuit. Oh my God. Have you eaten? I'm like, I'm like like the moonlight Graham of competitive. (laughs) He wrapped his arms around the Kalachi head first. Uh, (laughs) So you, you've judged competitive eating. Now I'm told that you didn't do it this year, but you've been a counter for the Nathan's hot dog contest. I have, I didn't do it this year because I was, well, you know, there was a screw-up last year. We Did you lose count last year? Did you no, lose count? Wasn't, it, wasn't, it wasn't me, but it was the guy who was my end to being the judge there the previous two years. So he got, <gasps> no! He got, he got sort of excommunicated, 
So it's one of those things like, hey, you take yourself and all of your friends and get the hell out of here. You know it's what I the mean? company like, you keep, Sean. That's incredible. I know, dude. I was, I was spot on, too. I, I was counting last year. I counted Darren Breeden who finished third. And I, was, I nailed it. He had 43. I counted 43. I was good to go. Um, but my buddy, who was, he was on the bag for Joey Chestnut, he, uh, it didn't go as well for him. So wasn't there a tie this year? Uh, no. Well, no. I watched it on TV. Um, in fact, I had the under. I, I, I hit on that. It was, I had what? under 74 and a half. Oh, God. You bet on it? Oh, God. I bet on it. Well, yeah. You got, and, I, and, I, and it was funny. I actually waited until the morning of to bet on it. I waited to see what happened with the women's contest first. And Mickey Sudo, who was the winner of that for like the umpteenth straight year, her total in Vegas was 38 and a half. She only ate 31. And I looked at the temperature and it was like 88 degrees in Coney Island which is really hot if you've ever been to Coney Island before. Oh and so, I, you know, in the heat, it's a little harder to eat that. So, I, you know, I, I, I do what I do. Can I handicap it? You know what I mean? Like, I, I, uh, I, I, saw, I, I saw a hole in the market, and I went for it, and I had a smooth hundo in my account once Joey Chestnut was done only eating 71. Oh, my goodness. Okay. So, yeah. so you only made, you, you made 29 more dollars than he ate in hot dogs. Um, yeah, yeah. See, I, you know, I wasn't allowed to bet on it the last couple of years because that would be insider trading. Oh, that would be. So now you yeah. said you watched it on TV. Does that mean you're no longer welcome at the Nathan's Hot Dog Eating Competition? It's a great. It's a great question. I really need to reach out to the Nathan's people on my own and just find out if, if the water's been poisoned for for just my buddy or all of us. Yeah, I, I don't know the answer to that. It was kind of nice taking a year off from it, if you want to know the truth. Oh, I okay. Cabin, like up in the woods in the Catskills. It was. It was kind of nice. So, so to stay away from it, you went as far away as you possibly could to seek seclusion from going to the hot dog eating contest. Well, I didn't, you know, I didn't want all the radio people after me to get my takes on the hot dog eating contest. They wouldn't find me. They wouldn't find me up in the woods. Uh, well, I chased you down, and I still got my guy. It's like Walker, <laughs> Texas Ranger here. All right, I'm sorry, Sean. I got to get to the business of things. It just, it, w- once I found out, I just it the. Even though I'm not a big fan of it, and you would think I would be, but I'm not. It just piqued my interest, so it is really interesting. All right, I what think you, you th- would find it. Yeah, I think you would enjoy doing the hot dog canning thing, Ken. I think you would. It's, it's, <sighs> a, it's a unique experience. You're all that I, shrapnel, all the all the chewed up. Oh, okay. All right, we move on. Sean right, Pettigrew, right, Russell Westbrook. Russell Westbrook. Y- yeah. Also, weekends on CBS Sports Radio. Uh, what did you think of this trade? What, what are are they contenders now? Uh, I, I'll be honest with you. I don't know that they're that I, I was, I was in the camp of, I didn't want them to do the trade. I, I, I wanted them to, I wanted them to roll back. And it's not because I think Chris Paul is better than Russell Westbrook, but I, I do think there's a really good chance that Chris Paul was a better fit for the Rockets than Russell Westbrook is going to be for the Rockets. I, I think a lot of this stuff with James and Chris was uh, James Harden and Chris Paul, the friction at the end of the year, I think was a little bit overblown, even though yeah. the trade would seem to indicate otherwise. But I, I think Russ and, and James Harden go way, way back. You know, I, I don't think it would have been one of those deals where um, it could have been just any superstar they'd be flipping Chris Paul for. I think there is a relationship there with James Harden and, and Russell Westbrook. And I do think James's fingerprints are on this thing. I think Tillman Fertitta's fingerprints, the owner, are on this. It's a strange trade because Russell Westbrook kind of embodies everything – anti-analytical for a very analytical GM and Daryl Morey. Russell's a, he's a, he's a, I mean, he's a tour de force athletically, but he's a really inefficient basketball player. So I, I was cool with them making another tweak or two to the bench and bringing back the same group and, and kind of mucking it out in a Western conference that has about five or six teams that are pretty evenly matched. 
I'll say this. The Rockets are infinitely more interesting now than they were two days ago. I don't know if they're better, but they're more interesting for sure. Well, how do they find a way to share the basketball? That's like Mike D'Antoni. We'll see. You know, I, I, I think it's funny. I, I see these TV shows where, you know, the, where the guys are yelling at each other and they have the questions at the bottom of the screen. And one of them is, will Harden, or, will Harden and Westbrook have to change? And it's like it's mathematically impossible for them to keep playing the same way each of them are. Like, unless you add – Bad, you know, unless you add another basketball, someone's going to have to change. Probably both of them are going to have to change. And I think it's on it's on Mike D'Antoni to uh, to a figure out how to use both of these guys for the best of their ability, how to meld them. And and I think two, it's on Mike D'Antoni and probably to an extent Daryl Morey and maybe even James Harden to sit down with Russ and say, okay, you don't need to do everything anymore. You know, when, when, there's a tendency when you ask people to do everything. They try to do everything, even the things they're bad at. And I do think there, there probably needs to be a sit-down with Russ to say, hey, man, here are the things you're really, really good at. This is where, you know, we see you kind of, I don't want to say fitting in. I don't want to make it out like he's Eric Gordon or some complimentary piece. He's obviously a superstar. Yeah. I think, I, I think it's on the Rockets, Mike D'Antoni and, and Daryl Morey and probably James Harden and, and Russell Westbrook to all sort of collaborate to figure out how to make it all work. He's been doing this 11 years now, Russ has. So the sense I get is that he's going to be – he's going to be open to trying to go win a title as opposed to trying to get triple doubles every night. It's surprising to me to a degree. Now I feel like a team that has a star like Harden in the Rockets, you're trying to do something, you're trying to make it bigger. And so just by the glance, you would not be surprised. However, it's Daryl Morey, who's the general manager, Sean, and I don't need to tell you about the blueprints of analytics. And it seems that he took that and threw that out the window and made a very desperate move to try to catch up with everybody else in the NBA. Yeah, I, that, that, those are the optics for sure. It's, it's funny, Ken, because there's two things that work with Daryl through his decade plus with the Rockets. There's the analytics side of it where they're trying to play as efficient a style of basketball as they possibly can. But Daryl has also made no bones about the fact, especially once he got James Harden as his superstar player, that it's about star power and it's about, it's about compiling. It's an arms race. You know, it's about going and compiling as many nukes as you possibly can. You know, they – they went and got Dwight Howard. They chased after Chris Bosh and, and Carmelo Anthony. They chased after Carmelo Anthony before they signed Carmelo last year, back when Melo could still play. They chased after him in 2015. Even though you look at that, you go, boy, how is Carmelo Anthony going to fit with Dwight, at the time, Dwight Howard and James Harden? So, but Daryl has always said, we feel like, you know, you, if it's a star player, you get as many stars as you can, and then you try to make it work. This is a trade that obviously fits that description, that sort of mantra of Maury, which is, hey, yeah, there's the analytics side, which is this is the most efficient way to play basketball. But at the end of the day, it seems like the trump card in this thing is Russell Westbrook's one of the top 12 players in basketball. If you got a chance to have two of those guys, you go get them, and then it's up to a coach like Mike D'Antoni to kind of figure it out. What ultimately happens with Chris Paul? Uh, I think OKC is going to – they're obviously trying to move him. He doesn't do them much good, although, you know – I would say that if it was a young team that already had its nucleus in place, that there may be some value in having Chris Paul there. Just not that that's what Chris Paul wants to do at this stage of his career, but I mean, he's getting paid 40 million bucks a year. So he's not really dealing from a position of strength. I don't know that he's a guy who's going to bellyache his way out of OKC or not. Um, But I I think they're they're obviously going to try to move him. If it was a team that already had its young nucleus in place, you know what I mean? They already had some young people. Like if he went to New Orleans, something like that, or, you know, even Philadelphia where you got superstars there. I think there's a place for Chris Paul in, in the league playing on teams that have the potential 
to compete for, at the very least, the conference title in the East or the West. Um, Miami seems to be the talk right now because they've got Jimmy Butler. I, I, you know, I don't know all the, the machinations of, of which teams have the cap space and the wherewithal or a package that would interest OKC. The fact of the matter is if OKC is going to move him, they may have to take one of those first-round picks and staple it to him on the way out the door because of his – because of his contract. It's just crazy to think about though, Ken. Like I, I tweeted this a short time ago. Like if you go back and look at the, the Chris Paul, like those articles that people do like in May and June, like five places that Chris Paul could get traded to by the Rockets. Um, if you go back and look at those articles now, you know, written back in June, and then you add at the bottom of it the trade that actually got done with Chris Paul to go to OKC for Russell Westbrook, it looks completely it looks absurd. You know what I mean? All the trades for Chris Paul were all the trades that OKC is now going to be trying to pursue, which is trying to dump his salary. The Rockets actually got a superstar player for him, and we'll see how the fit goes. Sean Pendergast joining us on the show. You can hear him weekends, Sundays, 6 to 10 Eastern, CBS Sports Radio, also weekday afternoons, 2 to 6, right there on Sports Radio 610 in Houston. Hey, real quick, and I've got to ask you about the Texans. Yeah. If LeBron can find a way to get him, do you think LeBron wants Chris Paul? If LeBron can find a way to get Chris Paul, yeah, I would think so. They're banana boat buddies, right? They're like, and they could use a point guard there. I thought that when 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 the Anthony Davis trade went down, uh, you know, a month or so ago, that immediately struck me as a place that Chris Paul could wind up, just because of the. I mean, you know, from being in Cleveland, like you know, LeBron runs the show everywhere he goes, so that wouldn't uh-huh. surprise me at all. So, no general manager. You're going to do the no general manager thing with the Texans, huh? Uh, yeah, I'm at, it's actually me running the Texans via a puppet regime through four different people inside the building over there. That's what's going on, right? Yeah, it's via crazy. puppet regime. It's, it's yeah, it's it's uh, no, it's real. It, it's it's very strange. I, I honestly, I think at the juncture we're at in the calendar right now, it's probably being made a bigger deal out of than is really the actuality inside the building. Just because there's not much. You know, this isn't this is a pretty dead time for a general manager. You know, July, August. O'Brien's going to be the one who would have been deciding who the 53 are anyways, even though it's in the job description of the GM. The, whoever the GM would be in the building over there would be getting O'Brien's input on which guys to keep and which guys. I think where it's going to manifest itself, Ken, is if a deal needs to get made during the season, like when they traded for Demarius Thomas last year, what's the, what's the chain of command going to look like for something like that or just what the, what's the process going to be? And I think if they don't have a GM in place before the draft next year, a, it would certainly appear that they're going after Nick Casario again because his contract with the Patriots runs through the draft reportedly. And B, that would be really scary. <laughs> no GM. They're going to wait gonna... that long for Nick Casario. I don't think so. I, 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 for a while, I thought I did, but I think I. I'll be honest with you, Ken. I think like if I'm if I'm a betting man, I don't know what kind of odds would be on something like this, but it would not shock me if the if somebody within this power structure they have right now ultimately winds up with the GM title, and it would probably be Jack Easterby, who's the, the guy they brought over from New England. The, he was a quote-unquote character coach in New oh, England. Oh, Judas Priest. Who That's all a guy, of a sudden has all this power in the building over there. And, and I, it would, that, would not, that would not shock me if Jack Easterby ultimately became the general manager of the Houston Texans. Landry Locker was chanting his name in an interview with me like two yeah. weeks ago about this. Yeah, yeah, no, Landry's all, right. all on board with, with Jack. Yeah, I, I like to call them Easter believers. I, I'm an Easter believer. Easter believers. Well, that's yeah. certainly something to unpack right there. Are you worried about Deshaun Watson going into year three? Uh, no, he's, well, I'm worried about his health and safety because of the offensive line, if that's what your question is. Is that yeah, ju- yeah, is, 
Is that just a, const, a constant then? Until they find five guys who prove that they can be average at playing offensive line in the NFL, it's going to be a constant concern for the, uh, for the Texans. And, and for Deshaun, I think Deshaun's awesome. I, I mean, I think Deshaun is already one of the top, uh, you know, top probably six or seven quarterbacks in the league, just purely based on skill set, maturity, uh, ability to, to make plays in the clutch, which we've all seen him do going all the way back to Clemson. I mean, he, he, they were 11-5 and five this past season because of Deshaun Watson. If Deshaun Watson's not on that team, they're a 4-12 football team like they were the year before. So mm. he's a great, great player. But, uh, yeah, I'm, I'm, I'm absolutely worried about, uh, about him, you know, getting – he got sacked 62 times last year. I, I, they haven't done enough on the offensive line to make me think that that number's going to go way down. Final one, how do the fans feel about Bill O'Brien? Uh, for a guy who went 11 and five last year, and they're they're they're, they're at the uh, they're at the gates of NRG Stadium with their pitchforks and their torches and everything else, I would say that the uh, the approval rating on Bill O'Brien right now is pro- it's you know it's certainly below 50. percent um, I think just because it's it's five years and they haven't really done anything significant, they've been bad. They've won the division a few times. There's a lot of cities that would kill to have a few division titles three of the last four years or whatever. But the fact of the matter is. If you go look at his resume, he's coached 80 games in the NFL now and a few playoff games. There's not a single win in there that you look at and go, boy, there's a signature win. He doesn't have any of those. And I guess the good news and bad news for O'Brien this coming season is if you look at their schedule, he's got about nine or ten opportunities for what would be his best regular season win as the coach of the Houston Texans. Their quarterback gauntlet that they play is absolutely brutal. So, so you're, it's, it's, you're, it's hot seat time. <laughs> it's hot seat time for sure. Hot seat time? I thought you sound yeah. like a defender, though. Huh? You sound like a defender of him. Well, you were at, no, you were asking me what the what the you asked me what Houston thought of him, and I'm thinking hot seat time uh, in Houston. I like O'Brien. Uh, I, I you know I'm rooting for O'Brien, but I think but I think the I think the fans are very restless right now. Yeah, I did the Roddy Piper to myself. Just as soon as you gave me the answer, I changed the question. All My right, wrestler of all time, Ken. If you're going to pick a wrestler to emulate with me on your show, I'm happy with it being the Hot Rod. Oh, my goodness, what a way to end it. Sean, we thank you very much for the time. Really, I know you're busy traveling and everything like that. Thanks for giving us the minutes. Uh, All the best to you, buddy, and uh, we'll talk to you again soon. Catch up with you soon anytime, Ken. Thanks, bud. Yes, sir. Sean Pennegast joining us from Sports 10 610 in Houston. You can hear him tomorrow night, 6 to 10 p.m. Eastern, CBS Sports Radio, CBSSportsRadio.com, the Radio.com app, and Sirius XM 206, 855-212-4CBS, 855-212-4227. Up next, I think Adam Silver's pretty good at what he does. I think he just got caught falling asleep, and it's going to hurt him in the long run. And it's time to hand out the hardware. The first annual Trash Bees will climax next. This is the Ken Carmen Show on CBS Sports Radio. Final segment of the day, final segment of the week, at least for me. Go ahead and... Get it in while the getting's good. 855-212-4CBS, 855-212-4227. Send the tweets. Send them hot at Ken Carman, C-A-R-M-A-N. I want to. I told you at the beginning of the show, and I said I'd do it at the end of the show, and we're just about at the end of the show. I want to give a sincere thanks to both, to all three of them. Robin Lundberg. Well, gosh, I have more than that. Robin Lundberg, Ryan Hickey, Tom Benedetto. I have to put Billy Jack in there. I have to put Shep in there. I have to put Schwartz in there. I have to put John Fass in there. I have to put Andy Gresh in there especially and him and Mraz in there especially because two weeks in a row I've been dealing with eye issues. This is the first Saturday I haven't had to deal with basically having to get some sort of an eye surgery. And so two weeks ago, 
Robin Lundberg was willing to give up the day to fill in. We were able to do the show. And then last week, poor Mraz had to stay an extra two hours. And Gresh started at noon east. And I want to tell you guys, as somebody who has been there in that spot and had to fill in, I know it sucks, sucks, sucks in the middle of summer to be told because you prepare and you try to do well for the four hours. You know that you're on air for four hours. You want to provide your very, very best. You expect our best. We ought to try to give you our best. We don't always hit home runs, but each and every one of us here try. And to tell you that you're going to be on for six hours in the middle of summer, it is not a very welcome bit of news. So for both Mraz and for Andy Gresh, both are exceptional talents in what they do, and I mean that sincerely. I sincerely thank both of them because that was the last thing I wanted to do was put you guys in that spot, and you guys came through for me, and I don't know how I'm going to pay each each one of you guys back, but i got to figure out a way to do it. Whereas, I think I know a way. Gresh's might be a little bit more difficult. But I know I owe, especially Mraz and Gresh, I owe you one. And I thank you guys very, very much because this has been a uh, frustrating time altogether because of the eye issues. 855-2124-CBS. But I do thank those guys very much. I want to get to this before we get to the trash piece. I think Adam Silver's doing a good job. I know that he might be a little bit sensitive to some. It's a conversation we could have at another time. I, I don't I don't want to get into it now, especially because there's like seven, eight minutes left to go in the show. I think for the most part, Adam Silver has done a fine job representing the NBA, representing the interests, and, and trying to balance the interests of the players, the owners, and the fans, or excuse me, the governors, and the fans. I think he's tried to do his best to do that. I think he got caught falling asleep at the wheel this one. Either that or it's lip service, because earlier this week, Adam Silver says, you know, he's just a little bit disappointed in, in the way that the players have moved and the forced trades and and the way the players have kind of decided what they want to do. And I, I understand that maybe he believes that. I wonder if that's just lip service. I wonder if that's lip service to Bob in Detroit or Richard in Portland or anybody in any city. Well, Portland's a team that can actually really, really compete this year. But a, a a Dave in Atlanta, a Richard in Memphis, somebody who's a fan of NBA basketball, an Andre in Minnesota, a fan of a team, and likes that team, and over the last five years has become disinterested, become a little bit embittered, because in these areas, and including my own where I'm at, I have very little hope that the team's going to be able to put something together for the long term. You might be able to catch that cr- that comment sweeping across the sky, and you got to grab it for a moment, a seven-year, maybe even less, split, and try to do what you can there. And maybe that guy, which it's almost impossible to do, can gain the maturity and the respect from the referees and the way that it needs to be played and the smarts and the overall physical attributes that is need to be needed to be a champion in the NBA. Maybe he's able to do that. More than likely, he won't be. And more than likely, in those cities that I mentioned, and now you can add Oklahoma City to that mix, you're going to lose that guy. Or in Oklahoma City's case, all three of those guys. That, I think, is the problem that Adam Silver is finally realizing. Every time we talk about the NBA, it's player empowerment, player empowerment, player empowerment. These players need empowered. These players are sentient beings and can do whatever they want. It's almost like it's chanted. And that's fine when you're looking at a global market. People in China are big NBA fans. They're fans of these players. 
they're not coming over, or they do maybe once, twice in a lifetime and get to see these guys. Or when these guys on the offseason go over there, they have a chance to see them personally. But they don't become Oklahoma City fans. They don't become New Orleans fans. They don't become Memphis fans. They don't become really Dallas fans. They don't become fans of the Chicago Bulls or Hawks or Wizards or Heat or Cavs or even the Knicks. They don't become fans of the teams. They become fans of the players. And it's good if you're globally marketing, if you're going to China, in England, in Spain, in France, but in the United States where they do play, I think you're losing some of the protection. Baseball, I don't think, has that problem. It's an extremely regional sport, and people are diehards usually to the teams that they grew up with in their regional area. Football in the NFL, couple of different instances here and there, especially if the teams are geographically close, but usually the same exact argument. In a place like Cleveland, where we love our teams like our own family, something did concern me earlier last week. Liz and I went looking around for different houses, and we were looking at some of the things on Realtor.com and a couple of ideas like that. We just had another son. Liz wants a fourth bedroom. I'm not going to lie to anybody. Looking online and seeing some of the pictures of the homes, I was a little bit concerned. Because in four of the rooms, four, and I didn't look at a ton of houses, but in four of the rooms and four different houses, I saw Steph Curry stuff on the wall. Golden State and Cleveland are supposed to be a rival. In the house that I walked into, and I can't say the city just in case anybody's listening, I don't want to ruin anybody's house value or anything like that. In the house I walked into, there's Kyrie Irving Boston uniformed stuff all over the walls. No Cleveland Cavalier merchandise. Nothing with LeBron, certainly. And I think if you're running off the old man, because the old man might be disinterested in the NBA basketball team, is the kid going to be interested in the NBA basketball team, or is the kid just going to be interested in the players that are going around the league? Because I was a big Michael Jordan fan at 33 years old. When I was a kid, I was a big Michael Jordan fan. I was a huge Shaq fan. Still a Cavs fan. When I was looking at baseball... I still don't think anybody has a problem in here with baseball, but I liked Ken Griffey Jr. I liked Frank Thomas. I liked the Cleveland Indians. The Browns were gone. When the Browns came back, you were a big Browns fan. And I think the first two don't have any problem. When it comes to the Cavs, and just like I would see with Memphis and Washington and Utah over time and San Antonio and a couple of other places, what's that generation got to look forward to? Because if we have three-year contracts and we do have player empowerment, are we rooting for players or are we rooting for teams? And if we are rooting for players, how do we protect the entities of what the civic pride is supposed to be when it comes to an NBA franchise, especially if an NBA owner goes reaching out with his hands trying to collect tax dollars for those arenas? They don't just give it to you if they like players. They give it to you if they like the teams. 855-2124-CBS. Are we ready? We got to make it quick. Let's go. Hit the music, Tom. I hope everybody has on their finest livery or whatever you say it. It is time for the first annual Trash Bees. The winners will be announced by Billy Jack. Are we ready? Away we go with the sixth category. The athlete who needs to retire the most. Your nominees, Eli Manning, Tom Brady, Vince Carter, Chris Paul, pull down the music a little bit. Judas Priest, you trying to get me off the stage? Okay, Manning, Tom Brady, Vince Carter, Chris Paul, Billy Jack, the winner of the trash speed for athlete who needs to retire most is Eli Manning. 
68% voted Eli Manning. Most annoying athlete. LeBron James, Kevin Durant, Kyrie Irving, Antonio Brown, Billy Jack, the envelope, the trash be for most annoying athlete. Begrudgingly say Kyrie Irving. 29% say Kyrie Irving. Worst sports, worst pro sports league. Your nominees, the NFL, Major League Baseball, the NBA, the NHL, Billy Jack, the winner of the worst pro sports league. Again, begrudgingly, the NBA. Boy, that's a shame. 40%. 36% said the NHL. How's that possible? NHL's fun. Worst team. Baltimore Orioles, Suns, Knicks, Raiders. Billy Jack, the not, winner. Not begrudgingly, the New York Knicks. 67% they ran away from it. Uh, worst owner, your nominees. James Dolan, Derek Jeter, Dan Snyder, Jeannie Buss. <laughs> Who's the winner, Billy? Jim Dolan. 75% voted James Dolan as the worst owner in pro sports for 2019. And your worst executive, your nominees, Brody Van Wagenen. You have Dave Gettleman, Steve Kime, Sam Presti, Billy Jack, Dave Gettleman. New York, dialing it in. The Giants, Dave Gettleman at 73%. Boy, if Daniel Jones is great... This needs to be retweeted all over the place. I'm telling you right now. Big thanks to everybody who participated in the first ever Trash Bees. We'll try to do it again at the worst week in sports next year. Big thanks to everybody back in New York. Tom D., Shep, Schwartz, John Fast, Billy Jack, the immortal Andy Gresh up next. Folks, I'm Ken Carmen. You have a wonderful week, friends. Okay, picture this. It's Friday afternoon when a thought hits you. I can spend another weekend doing the same old whatever, or I can hop into my all-new Hyundai Santa Fe and hit the road. With available H-Track all-wheel drive and three-row seating, my whole family can head deep into the wild. Conquer the weekend in the all-new Hyundai Santa Fe. Visit HyundaiUSA.com or call 562-314-4603 for more details. Hyundai, there's joy in every journey.